you're the only one who can. We're really glad that you're here uh, this morning as we continue into this series, Re-Engage. Uh, whether you're in person or online, we're talking about re-engaging in the joy of our mission. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's talk about Christmas. Uh, we are uh, doing something totally different this year, uh, and we are inviting you to, to attend our Christmas Eve services off-site. And so uh, it's really important for you. Uh, we are going to follow the guidelines that are necessary. But because of uh, the site and because of the, the situation that we're moving into, it's critically important that you register for the event, that you let us know that you intend on coming. And so if you would uh, respond to that, go online or go to Connection Point, let us know what service you intend to attend. Uh, we will uh, make sure that you have a spot in one of our Christmas Eve services on the 23rd or the 24th. Also, we, uh, we introduced our new logo uh, last week. Uh, it's all about connection. It's all about uh, people being connected to God, His church, and His world. It's the same mission, uh, but just a different icon or a different way to illustrate that mission. And of course, it's always a, a new re a, another reason to buy gray swag. And so I have I have one of the t-shirts up here. Anybody want with Chris, you want that? If it's not the right size, exchange it at Connection Point. Glad for you to have it. You're welcome. Okay, we are having a family conversation in this series. Re-engage uh, the joy of our mission. Every once in a while, it's necessary to get the family together and have a talk. A lot of times, it's not a pleasant talk. Sometimes, it's a difficult talk. This is not a difficult talk. We just need to get around the table uh, and, and, you know, like families in the living room uh, or at the lawyer's office, wh whatever, you know, gets you together to talk about things that you need to talk about. Uh, we just, uh, for the past eight months, as you know, this has been a challenge for all of us, not only the church, but in all areas of our culture and uh, society, in our livelihoods, in the way we do life together. Uh, it's not over. Who knows when it'll be over? So the timing of this conversation may not be perfect, but at some time, you just got to sit down and then you know, let's just talk about what's been going on, what's going on. Last week, we talked about the small C church, the local church, specifically Grace Fellowship and how we're doing. If Grace is your home, I encourage you to, to look up that teaching. We also talked about the big C church, the universal church. We're all a part of that as well. Everyone who follows Jesus is a part of the big C church, and we're continuing that conversation today. Things are changing. Things are changing. Creativity and flexibility are the operative words, learning how to adapt, when to pivot, when to, when to change, the ability to innovate, uh, to make things uh, work uh, in the way that they didn't work before. Unfortunately, those who have not been able to adapt, those who have not been able to be creative and innovate uh, have struggled in this particular time, whether it's a business or a church or a school or whatever. And the toll is yet to be finalized, but those businesses... Uh, that have not been able to adapt. Some of them will never reopen. Some churches that have not been able uh, to deal with this struggle will not return. Again, we talked about that last week. In 1976, which I know has been several years ago, uh, in 1976, the, the Eastern Kodak Company possessed 85% of the camera market. Those of you who were alive in 1976, did anybody have a Kodak camera? Remember the Kodak cameras? Okay, a Kodak camera. Uh, but they had, the, in 2012, uh, the, Kodak, the Eastern Kodak Company 
filed for bankruptcy. 85% of the camera market, and then they file for bankruptcy. In many ways, uh, the Kodak company sabotaged its own future because they were, they were unable to adapt uh, to the future. Uh, they hung on to their past, film photography or digital photography, and they just simply made the wrong choice. A few years ago, people were asking, why would you ever put a camera in a phone? We were asking that question in 2004. I, I researched this, and there was a blog going on about cameras in phones and people saying that this was ridiculous, this was kind of stupid, you already have a phone, why, uh, you already have a camera, why, why do you need a camera and a phone? Today, so many of us choose our phones because of the camera that's in the phone. Years ago, the big box stores changed how we shop. Uh, now e-commerce changed, changed how we shop. Home delivery, uh, now you can just drive up to a store and they'll put the stuff in your car without you ever getting, is that ever gonna go away? I think not. Okay, so there's some things that are good or that are coming out of this. Uh, we keep asking ourselves, when is life ever going to get back to normal? 20 years ago, we asked that after 9-11. Now we're asking again in two, 2020. And the answer is, life really never goes back to normal. It just continues to adapt. Will masks ever go away? Is social distancing here to stay? Time will tell. But here's the, here's the thing that I want to say about it. People will always need food, clothing, shelter. They will always need education and health care. How those needs are met change uh, with the times. What's true of businesses and schools and hospitals are also true of the church. Now, understand me, the mission never changes. Grace Fellowship has existed for the last 28 years to help people connect to God, His church, and His world. That will never change. The fact that people need Jesus is as universal as the universe. And also what is true is that disconnection has always been characteristic uh, of our culture. Technology has made human accessibility uh, greater than it's ever been before, and yet we are suffering uh, bouts and, and pandemics of loneliness uh, and fear and worry like never before as well. So that's the thing, friends. Human beings will never stop being human beings. God created us for connection. He redeemed us for a relationship, and we are called to do life together. And so the fallout of the quarantines that we had to go through, the shutdowns and all the guidelines, and understand, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying that 2020 uh, has been a challenge both to the culture and to the church. And as I see it at this point, I, I see it calling Jesus followers to reaffirm their commitment to follow Jesus. And so that's why we're having this conversation these next uh, last week and this week to re-engage in what we truly believe to be true and how do we live out that faith in a way that's faithful uh, to that. Uh, they call it the frog in the kettle syndrome, where you end up somewhere you, you didn't intend to go because you weren't attentive to the direction of your life. Culture is very much like that, especially when it comes to faith. And so sometimes we just need to stop and re reassess, reevaluate, reaffirm who we are and why we are. We looked at Matthew chapter 16 last week. We're going to look at it again this week. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say? that I am. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Would you say that with me? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. One more time. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Last week, we looked at the words of Jesus, who said, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church that I am building. The question is not, will the church survive? The question is, who will be a part of the church that survives? Because Jesus is building his church, and it will always be here. This week, uh, we are considering the words of Peter in this story, who, when asked about Jesus, said this, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We would call this the Great Confession. Nearly all churches around the world throughout history uh, would call upon would-be followers of Jesus to declare their faith in Jesus by making this confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, we're talking about the church in this, in this series. And last week, I gave you three particular reasons why people go to church. Why would anyone go to church? And there's three general reasons why people show up at church. Belong, become, or believe. Some people go to belong. They, they need to be a part of something that gives them value and purpose. They want their lives to matter to someone. They want to know and be known. And friends, that's a great reason to be a part of the church. That's a biblical reason to be a part of the church, but it's not the ultimate reason to be a part of the church. Some people show up uh, to become. They have a hurt habit or hang-up. They have a problem. They have a need uh, that needs, they, they need help with their life. And we believe that no one can change a life like Jesus. But to come, uh, to become, to be a part of the church, just simply uh, to fix your problems, it's a good reason, it's a biblical reason, but it's not the ultimate reason to be a part of the church. Because here's the deal, friends, you, you, you can find friends anywhere, and there are multiple ways to feel better about your life. The church is more about becoming or belonging. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. The ultimate reason for Jesus' coming is summed up in what Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What makes the church ultimately different and unique among all other human gatherings and all other human organizations on earth is that we are not gathering because of other humans. We gather because of this confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We are a group of confessors, if you will, that, we, that, that are tied together because of the confession that we make. Individual confessions with a communal responsibility. We all make that confession individually, but with that confession comes a responsibility to everyone else that makes that confession. Why? Because Jesus said, upon this confession, I will build a movement of confessors, disciples, followers, who together, called the church, will declare my name, will preach my good news, and will bring hope to a broken world. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. For 2,000 years, the church has, has resisted its enemies. Philosophers have predicted its extinction. Governments have sought its demise. But Jesus said, the very gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I am building. No human gathering on earth has lasted longer than the church. 
And what's amazing about this gathering is the composition of this gathering. In fact, I mean, I know it, in this church, we're pretty homogenous. Uh, we, we look the same, but friends, that's not the case around the world. What's amazing about this human gathering is the composition of this, of this gathering. You get a group of uh, people together, and even in this room, you discover we don't, we don't like the same music. We don't read the same Bible translation. Not all of us go to Chick-fil-A. You know, people, people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, people who don't look alike, who don't sound alike, a group of people that supersedes all of the cultural identities that exist. Friends, that's, that's why you can travel around to the far ends of the earth, to the most remote villages around the globe, with all of the cultural barriers and the language barriers and the political barriers, and you can experience a oneness that the world just simply does not understand. I mean, if for no other reason, you should take a mission trip just to experience the community of believers that have nothing in common but Jesus. It's amazing. We all love Jesus, and that's enough. That's what ties us together. We get together not because of us, but because of something outside of us, larger than us, something that will outlast us. We get together because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, an individual confession that has a communal responsibility. This passage in Matthew 16 has been debated in the church for 2,000 years. It is my understanding that Jesus' promise to build his church was based on the confession, not on the person who made the confession. In other words, Jesus wasn't saying to Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. He was saying, I'm going to build my church on what you have just confessed, the truth that you have just proclaimed. And everyone who ever makes that confession will be a part of the church that I'm building. So for 2,000 years, God has continued to gather those who profess that Jesus is the Christ, the church. The New Testament compares it uh, to a family where all of us are siblings. That's challenge enough, right? The Bible uh, compares the church uh, to a physical body where all of us represent different parts of that body with different functions and purposes. Uh, Peter, who made this confession, described it in his letters as a temple where each of us is an individual brick, but we are mortared together to build a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, that's where I show up. And so we, we are making this individual confession. We are individual people, but we have, a, we have a communal responsibility to everyone else who is sharing in that confession. Now, here's the thing. In our hyper-individualistic culture, this is a challenge, the communal responsibility that comes with that individual confession. I addressed this last week. I want to talk about it again this week, this growing sentiment in our culture. I can be spiritual without being religious. I can be spiritual without being religious. Have you ever heard any stuff? You know, I actually agree with that. I actually prefer that. But what I mean by that is what most others don't mean by that. I can do the Jesus thing without doing the church thing, which is completely inconsistent with what Jesus said. And so I think it's important for us to consider where we fit in the body of Christ and with our individual confession, what our uh, communal responsibility is with that. And I realize, okay, I'll just say it. I, I'm the choir director <laughs> and I know who I'm talking to. Whether you're in person or online, 
okay? Uh, some of you are thinking, well, you don't need to convince me because I'm here, right? I'm, I'm here. I'm preaching, I'm preaching to the choir. And you may be right, but sometimes the choir needs to be reminded of why we sing, okay? Uh, we sing because we love to sing. We sing because we love the other singers. But more than that, we sing because we have something to sing about and the world needs to hear our song. And so when we get discouraged, uh, when we get distracted, when singing gets difficult, when you start having issues with the other choir members, <laughs> sometimes we have to be reminded of why we sing, right? Because we live in a world that doesn't understand why we sing. And a lot of them don't want us to sing. They don't want to have anything to do with the song that we sing. And that kind of resistance can wear on us. It can wear us down. It, and then just life itself can get hard and war against our confession. So what's going to keep you steadfast and grounded? What's going to keep you singing? Here's what's going to keep you singing. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ means anointed one, the chosen one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus asked us, do, you, do we believe this? Do we believe this? Three passages I want to look at this morning that kind of illustrate or encourage us to be individual confessors with a communal responsibility. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's talking, he's talking about the gospel here, receiving the gospel. Then he says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and that phrase really hit me this week as I was preparing this, when they speak against you as evildoers, He's talking about believers here. He's talking about Jesus followers. Does this have any cultural relevance to us today? As a follower of Jesus, the one who came to love the world, the one who came to heal the world, the one who came to give the world hope. And friends, we now live in a culture where they think we're the problem. So when they speak against you as evildoers, may they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm going to go back to verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Uh, Jesus follower, you live in a war zone that is designed to destroy you. You have been called out of darkness, but you have not been delivered from that darkness. We are still alien residents in a world that is not neutral toward Jesus. And so Peter is addressing all of us together we are all bricks in this temple uh, together as a royal nation, a holy priesthood, bound by a common purpose, a common confession, united under the same Lord with one voice, proclaiming the excellencies of our King. Now, I understand this, and many times we think, I'm just one voice. What can one voice do? But that's exactly the point, right? I mean, we all sing louder when we sing together. We are not soloists. And that we are, we are choir members. That was God's intention. Let me give you three challenges that we uh, as, as believers in our culture have. The first one is fiercely individualistic 
uh, believe, we are fiercely individualistic as, as Americans. We fight for our right to choose our own way. We live in a have-it-your-own-way world, culture. And that mentality seeps into the church and fights against the one core characteristic of the church, that we can't do life alone. Where the New Testament couldn't be more clear that we have a responsibility, we are obligated to each other. And we struggle with that, right? I mean, uh, how, do we, how do we do life with people who are so different from us, different opinions, different personalities? And then we have to, so we have to remind ourselves, we have to agree that the common confession is enough. It's the common confession that holds us together. Here's the second passage, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the, whole, the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's talking about the gospel, friends. We have been cleansed. Uh, The full assurance of faith. This is the gospel. And then he says in verse 23, let us hold fast, what? The confession the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see what he's saying here, friends? The days are evil. We understand that. The situation is rough. We know that. We live in an anti-God culture. That is, that is very aware. And so we need to hold on to the confession, not to let go of the confession. But that's not all that he's saying, right? I mean, he's, he says that you've got to hold on to the confession in one hand and hold on to the confessors in the other hand. If you let one go, you lose the other. The idea that I can do Jesus without doing church is just simply not a Jesus idea. It's an American idea. It's not even a universal idea, friends. Again, when you go to other parts of the world, the church couldn't couldn't be stronger because they believe in the individual confession with the communal responsibility. You hear this all the time. Yeah, I don't don't do the church thing. And they almost say it with certainty, like they've they've had this agreement with Jesus for a long time and that he's okay with it. (laughs) Again, that's an American idea. Individual confession, communal responsibility. Back to verse 24, it says, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Why why does he tell us to do that? Because we don't do that very well and we don't like it when it's done. We don't know how to stir one another on to love and good deeds very well. And then uh, when it's done to you, we, we, because we're so individualistic, we, we kind of resist that. Nobody likes to be stirred up. But why do we need to be stirred up? Because we are strangers and aliens in a world that fights against us every day. Because we find ourselves as frogs in a kettle, not really aware of what the culture is doing to us. It's hard and it's discouraging. Every once in a while, uh, I just need to be reminded of who I am and whose I am and why I'm here and what I'm doing and why all of this matters. Here's the second challenge that we uh, American believers have to struggle against. We are intensely consumeristic intensely consumeristic. We are consumed with consumerism, which means what's in it for me? How can I benefit from this? If I give, I want to get. 
And this, again, this attitude is diametrically opposed to what Jesus created the church to be. We are not individuals. We are a people. We are not consumers. We are contributors. We are, we are obligated to each other. Again, not because of each other, but because of Jesus. Here's the, here's the final passage, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But we know, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. He's talking about the gospel here. We are far worse than we are able to admit. We are far more loved than we, are, we can possibly comprehend. And so verse 15, whoever confesses, whoever holds to the confession that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Whoever confesses, we have come to believe. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Matthew chapter 10 says, he who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. Confession, holding to the confession. And then John moves from the individual confession to the communal responsibility. He goes on verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we in, are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. It's not about us, it's about him. But because it's about him, well, we have a communal responsibility. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who, uh, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brothers. Friends, in our culture, we are fiercely individualistic, we are intensely consumeristic, and we are hypercritical. Hypercritical. Why would people claim that they can do the Jesus thing without doing the church thing? Friends, this is nothing new. American individualism with no sense of obligation to the body of believers, American consumerism with little thought of contribution that we are called to make to the body of believers, or, or it's just because, you know, there are too many hypocrites in the church. Heard that one, right? <laughs> Which is really rather ironic uh, when you examine the charge. There are too many hypocrites in the church. The person making that evaluation or making that charge, you, you, you do realize that you're judging people because they're judgmental. Or you're setting yourself above the people whom you claim set themselves above people. You're criticizing people for not getting it right. Because, because think about it, friends. If, if, I, if I hold to the confession without holding on to you, I'm actually nullifying the confession that I make. Jesus said that. I didn't. Now, that's, uh, that's not to say that we should overlook sin. That's not to say that we shouldn't confront one another when we're, we're off track in our following of Jesus. Actually, it's quite the opposite. The Bible calls us to do that because when we hold to the confession, when, when you hold to the, why, why do you confess in the first place? Why do you confess you are the Christ? You confess because you, you need a Christ. 
You need the anointed one. You need the Savior. You need the Messiah. You're confessing your need of redemption. You're confessing your own brokenness before the Christ who can save you and heal you and redeem you. The church is full of wonderful, messed up people who are holding on to the confession and holding on to each other. Most of the New Testament was written to help us, not necessarily to hold on to the confession, <laughs> but to hold on to the confessors. Which is much like, I want to I conclude by illustrating this with, with, with marriage. Those of you who uh, have been in that, are in that, you realize going back before that in the dating stage, we were all on our best behavior, right? We're all presenting our best selves. But for some reason, after you say, I do, the real person comes out. I mean, you just can't, you can't help that from happening. What's interesting is that Jesus in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, Jesus compared the church to the bride. Paul talked about the, the church being the bride of Christ. Now, I've seen brides. You've seen brides. There's, nothing, there's no one more beautiful than the bride. But we all know at some point the makeup comes off, the hair falls down, and the clothes are exchanged for something much more realistic. <laughs> Here's the point. For anybody that's ever been married, you have the image that you want, and then you have the reality that you've got. And it's wise for us not to be unwise or naive about that. The image and the reality, friends, are never the same. They are never the same. So when that reality hits, what's going to hold that marriage together? Well, that's the confession. We, we, call it, we call it a covenant relationship. Because the person that I want, I promise to love you into the person Jesus desires. You understand that? Individual confession with a communal responsibility. So maybe it's time for us to take our fierce individualism, our intense consumerism, our hypocritical spirits, and just lay them down at the foot of the cross and re-engage in the Jesus that loved us for who we are and loved us into the person he's called us to be. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And upon that confession, he will build a group of confessors that will turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I love the church. And it has not, uh, few things in life have given me more frustration. But few things in life have given me more fulfillment. So regardless of what I think about it, regardless of how I feel about it from moment to moment, regardless of how I've been discouraged or hurt, you are building this church. And I want to be a part of that church. I hold to the confession and I hold to the confessors. And I trust you to do with us what you will and to bring about in us a body, a temple, a church, that will proclaim your name to preach your good news and disseminate hope in our broken culture. That end we pray, Father, in Jesus' name.